The following is a production of Omnis.tv. Tonight's show, I welcome singer-songwriter Sam Bad. Also covered the NFL playoff preview, regifting New Year's Eve fun, the top movies at the box office, and much, much more on an unsigned New Year. Welcome to the Unsigned Show. My name is Ryan. Thanks for hanging out with me. It is a brand new year, 2013. Happy New Year's, everybody. New Year's Day. And uh, it's our first live show in a little while, so hopefully everybody had a great holiday. Uh, we enjoyed our uh, holiday break, and uh, we're coming to you live tonight, New Year's Day. And I'll tell you what, 2012 was a really great year for us, and 2013 is going to be even better. And uh, I want to take a moment to actually thank all the artists that were on the show uh, in the year 2012, starting with Culver, Spider Rockets, Broken Romeo, Cartoon Lion, Divided by Design, Damon Black, The Last Ones, True Apothecary, Scars of Envy, Phil Susan, Ed Lanuette from Shadows Fall, Phoebe Pinnock of Heaven the Axe, Travis from Venatica, David Martinez, Audio Blue, and Kev from Atomic Honey. I want to thank all those uh, individuals for being on the show uh, in 2012. And you, you more than likely will hear a couple of those artists again in 2013. And we have a lot of great, great artists coming up in 2013. So keep it locked right here with us every Tuesday night. And uh, also, Mike, you do a wonderful job. And I appreciate your, uh, your uh, due diligence in 2012, man. Thanks, dude. It's a blast. Awesome. Yeah, dude. Uh, I tell you what, uh, I've been toying with the idea, you know, uh, uh, how I want to talk about tonight with it being New Year's Day and all. And uh, I, I don't really do a, a lot of partying anymore. You know, I had a couple of drinks last night, not, nothing too crazy by any means, you know. But uh, I wanted to share a couple of New Year's Eve stories. And actually, none of the stories have anything to do with getting drunk and wasted at all. Uh, a story I wanted to share with you is that uh, 1999, New Year's Eve. You know, the whole Y2K thing and stuff. I had my uh, first full-time radio gig at this FM station. It was my very first night on the job, New Year's Eve, 1999. And I'm doing this big countdown uh, for this FM station. I was doing overnights at the time, you know. And uh, so I come in at 11 p.m. And, you know, I do the countdown. And everything's running nice and smooth. You know, nothing happens at Y2K. Sure enough, about 3 o'clock in the morning that night, New Year's Eve, New Year's morning, the transmitter at the station goes completely out. Now, mind you, this is my first day. I've hardly met, I've met maybe three people at this station, you know. Two of them had, were involved with uh, hiring me. The other was just happened to be another DJ that I uh, attended a, a broadcasting school with. So, uh, transmitter goes down, I get it back up. About 20, 20 minutes later, it goes down again. So, I, you know, I, I follow protocol, I get the log, I have to call the station engineer, mind you, well after 3 a.m. on New Year's Eve. So uh, I'm like, yes, uh, ex-engineer, uh, this is uh, Ryan here uh, at the station. And he goes, who? Mind you, it's my first day. And I'm calling the guy at three past 3 a.m. He goes, who are you again? Uh, you know, I explained, you know, I'm, I'm the overnight DJ here in New Year's, my first night on the job, and we're not on air anymore. 
and uh, the transmitter seems to be down. I've done this. I've done this. You know, I did this check, you know, so on and so forth. And he's like, all right, well, try this, try this. And I'm like, so I try it again. It doesn't work. So the engineer at th- past 3 a.m. in the morning, New Year's Eve, has to come up and come up to the station to actually uh, do some type of engineering, resetting the transmitter, which doesn't work. So he actually has to go to uh, the site where the actual transmitter is located to reset it. Uh, that is my first full-time gig uh, story on New Year's Eve. So um, pretty entertaining stuff. I, you know, I figured I would share it with you. My other one is more of a personal uh, story I'd like to share with you this evening as well, if that's okay. And uh, this is actually 10 years ago, uh, New Year's Eve 2002. Uh, two years prior to that, on December 29th, I uh, broke my neck in a uh, really bizarre accident. I won't get into the details of that by any means. But uh, just so you know, I'm not in a wheelchair. I can move my arms. I'm moving them right now like I have maracas on. But uh, – so I'm laying there in this hospital bed at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, New Year's Eve, 2002. Big, huge. My head is swollen up. I look like pumpkin head. My head is split open about three different ways. I get cuts and scrapes all over me. I'm in this big shell brace. I can't have any solid foods at all because I can't swallow because the bone I broke is connected to my carotid artery, so I can't have any solids at all. So I'm on basically ice chip and liquid Percocet diet. Probably the most effed up I've ever been in my life on a New Year's Eve. Except I'm laying in hospital bed, not really having any fun at all, just in sheer pain. And I remember, you know, the nurse coming in, but like, I can't believe you're stay awake. I'm trying to stay awake. I'm like, I want to watch the ball drop. You know, that's, you know, it was my thing. And I remember watching the ball drop and that's about it. I was out at that point and woke up the next day and was like, well, it's New Year's Day. Here we are. But uh, I wanted to share a couple of those stories, uh, New Year's Eve stories with you. And if you have any uh, interesting New Year's Eve stories you want to share them with me, um, share them with me at Ryan underscore unsigned uh, on Twitter. I definitely like to hear them. But uh, let's get into the show tonight. We got a lot of great stuff. Again, uh, singer-songwriter Sam Bad is going to join us a little later. But uh, there's some things I want to get into, some pretty funny stories. Uh, first live show we had in a while, like I said. So let's jump right into it. This one I titled, Regifting on a Budget. A man in Illinois allegedly stole Christmas gifts from two different homes and then regifted them to his phone friends and family. Police say Gregory Cook even installed a stolen ceiling fan in his own bedroom. Uh, And he also, you know, some of these were actually on gift cards and credit cards. So he actually swiped uh, these cards to buy gifts for his friends and family. A surveillance camera at Home Depot actually recorded Cook using the credit cards to buy merchandise that he later returned for cash. This is, uh, you know, the Grinch from Stole Christmas, but... Uh, in, in kind of a uh, modern form, I guess. Um, the police chief uh, said that he had never seen anything like that by any means. So uh, Merry Christmas to uh, Gregory Cook, who's now, uh, obviously you know facing some jail time. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was a funny story. The guy, you know, it wasn't all bad. He actually just wanted to steal gifts for his friends and family, but he did take that ceiling fan. So I don't know if they uninstalled the ceiling fan and give it back, but like, here's your Christmas gift. You know, this guy stole it. I don't know how that, how that works, but I thought it was an interesting story I'd pass on to you. Now, the other story, this one's a little bit more on the uh, risque, risque side, so I can't even talk. It's New Year's Day. I'm not even hungover. That's, that's, how, that's how it's going. But I tell this one, achy, breaky, blow-up doll. What? Well, a 22-year-old in North Carolina man uh, was, is facing shoplifting charges after allegedly uh, stealing an inflatable sex doll that looks like singer Miley Cyrus. Uh, officials in South Carolina arrested Benjamin Green uh, after an employee at Spencer's gift shop reported seeing him take the blow-up doll, allegedly not inflated, and hiding it in his coat. This was reported by uh, West, by uh, WIS-TV uh, in Green County there. Reportedly uh, passed all registers before he was stopped by an employee who asked for the doll. At the point, the package allegedly fell out of Green's coat, presumably, again, not inflated. 
Now, the doll in question is officially known as the Finally Miley Love Doll and retails for just $19.99. For only $19.99, she can be yours. Call now and you get a second Miley for only $10. Shipping and hailing. Do apply. Don't break my achy, breaky Miley doll. I use it so much it won't blow up anymore. Don't break my doll, my Miley doll. It won't blow up anymore. Just remember, for only $19.99, that finally Miley Love Doll can be yours. Now, this is a story we did in 2012, and uh, we kept tabs on it, and that is uh, the, the woman in Brazil who was actually uh, selling her virginity by my V for $780,000. Her virginity was actually sold online to a gentleman in Japan. Now, that has actually not happened or been consummated here two months later. Now, this you know she was obviously raising this money for uh, presumably for charity uh, and impoverished children in her native country in Brazil. Now, the 20-year-old Brazilian woman uh, is now going to be doing a Playboy edition selling pictures and is going to run, uh, apparently the Brazilian uh, edition and Playboy is going to run this month in January. No word on whether or not it will appear in the U.S. version of the magazine. So uh, there you go. That's a little uh, little update on a story we did in uh, 2012. Now, this is sad news. Uh, ministry, uh, a band that, uh, Mike, I, I know uh, we've had the privilege of listening to a lot of Ministry in our day, and uh, the guitarist Mike Scacho uh, died at the age of 47 after collapsing on stage in performance in Fort Worth, Texas, Saturday, December 22nd. The musician had been performing uh, with thrash metal veterans Rigor Mortis and also, again, Ministry when he suddenly fell to the ground after suffering a massive heart attack. Classic Rock Magazine reports that the band members returned to address the crowd, stating only it doesn't look good. Scotcha was rushed to a nearby hospital, but uh, obviously, unfortunately, passed away soon after. Scotcha began his career in Riga Mortis, a band that uh, was formed in 1983. By 1988, he had joined uh, the thrash metal ministry uh, via Capitol Records. Uh, and then at that point, he uh, you know, played with the influential instrument. Band, uh, you know, for quite some time, he played on the 1992 Psalm 69 album and also Filth Pig in 1996. So it was the only two albums he actually played on. He left the band and then rejoined it later uh, this past year, 2012, on the Relapse CD as well. And uh, so he, you know, great guitarist. Uh, so if he had a chance, definitely look up some of his videos on YouTube. Uh, very interesting technique and design he had uh, and probably uh, underrated as a guitarist overall. And this is a kind of an update of a story we did uh, several weeks ago. Former Metallica bassist Jason Newstead uh, is back and at it again. And now his self-titled band, Newstead, has released a new single titled Soldier Head. Uh, and also is going to be a four-track release titled Metal, which will come out next Tuesday night via iTunes. So definitely check that out uh, when you get a time. Now, here are my top 13 albums of 2013 to look forward to in the new year. Um, no particular order, but we'll... we'll Start with this, and that is, I put these two together because Trent Reznor is involved in both of them. That is How to Destroy Angels and Nine Inch Nails. The other one is Phil Insomno Solo, which I'm interested in hearing. ACDC, Motorhead, both rumored to be uh, hitting the studios and releasing new music in 2013. Obviously, Jason Newstead in the Newstead uh, Project. Pearl Jam rumored to be uh, doing some a uh, new album as well. The Black Keys Device is another group that I'm very interested in. Former frontman of Disturbed uh, and some former members of Filter are joining to joining up, creating a band called Device, uh, which 
is going to be very, very interesting, kind of more along the lines of ministry and older Nine Inch Nail stuff. Interesting to hear what that's going to sound like. Also, new Allison Chains, one of my favorite bands, Clutch, has a new album coming out. Another album that I'm very interested in hearing is Queens of the Stone Age, one because Dave Grohl is going to play drums on that album. And also, there's a bunch of special guests uh, like Eddie Vedder and a, a host of others that are going to be a part of making that album as well. And of course, uh, you could put this as 1A and 1B, and that is Black Sabbath. And of course, the band Tool, which has not released an album in over five years. So hopefully, those are 13 albums for 2013 that uh, I really anticipate hearing. Uh, remains to be seen if all those uh, bands or groups will actually release new albums. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and introduce our guest this evening. Welcome to the uh, Unsigned Show this evening. Sam Batt, uh, singer-songwriter from the UK. Sam, a uh, pleasure uh, joining us this evening. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's our pleasure. I know we've been, you know, kind of back and forth emailing and those type of things. We finally, you know, going to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, how has uh, the holiday season everything been for you? Um, well, we don't have Thanksgiving over here, so it hasn't really been the holiday season. It's been the hard work season, and boy, has it been the hard work season this time around. But I think that's a good sign because it means stuff's happening, and um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather be busy than bored. Very true. I think that's always a good way to go about it. You know, being busy and staying active is a definitely a good way to, uh, you know, make sure that you know, kind of stay sane too. I think if you, know, you know, at least in my opinion, like if I have like idle time, I get a little, I get a little squirrely. At least I do anyway. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know what it's like anymore. Um, well, I'm a single mum, and I also run several businesses, so I don't have spare time. There's no such thing. It's trying to squeeze sleep in when I can these days but you know I, I love that I thrive on that it, it makes me feel alive and you're right it keeps it keeps your corners turned up yeah no doubt about that now uh Sam uh, you you've been you know writing music and producing music for a little while I'm curious about how you originally got started uh where you really found out what you know what talent you had musically even as a younger uh individual like wh- when did you uh first discover you had like this musical talent or wanted to really you know be in the music industry oh well I, I was kind of born into it my parents were both uh musicians and when i was two we'd drive along in the car singing bar bar in harmony so uh the the option of not being a musician wasn't really there for me um i can't imagine not playing music it would be a bit like you know not eating or something like that it's impossible not to have some kind of musical thing going on. And I've found if I've ever become um, stuck or uh, uh, blocked in any way, there's, there's there's another instrument that just wakes it all up again. Very cool. Now, uh, you know, obviously you're writing with your parents, listening to, uh, you know, songs on, in the car. Is there certain uh, early musical influences uh, that, you know, that you hear and you look back and go, wow, that, that, that group or artist or songwriter really helped develop where I'm at musically. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a lady called Linda Lewis, who's a black lady who had lots of hits in the sixties and seventies, who became best friends with my mum, And she used to come around with her husband and jam at our house. And I so wanted to be her when I grew up. And she's got the most amazing voice. It spans three and a half octaves. And she's kind of, 
funky jazzy in her style and um just such a laugh to be around and then as i got older there there are a couple of bands that really made a massive impression on me um uh the rhythmics absolutely rocked my world and boomtown rats album the finer art of water uh, water surfacing i listened to again and again until i wore it out and XTC Skylarking. I mean, these are the things I was listening to when I was a teenager. Um, David Bowie, uh, The Specials, uh, Madness, that kind of stuff. Elvis Costello figured very well as well. Very cool. Now, the Annie Lennox, uh, your rhythmic thing, I definitely see that connection, knowing what I know about your music. Now, Now, as far as, like, you know, writing songs and, you know, and lyrics, you know, how how do you think that's changed for you from you know say early two thousand two thousand one where you co-wrote uh, no such thing? How do you think your music uh, style or writing process has changed from you know early two thousands to where you are now musically? Well, no such thing was a session. Um, someone came to me with a track and said, "This is what we want to do." They gave me the first line and the idea to go with it, and I I, I wrote the the melody and the lyric around it. And at that time, I was kind of really a lot into collaborating because I'd spent a lot of time doing stuff on my own and I really wanted to see what would happen when I worked with other people and I found that it was very productive because you'd come up with stuff that you wouldn't normally come up with. Um, Nowadays it's interesting because my writing's changed because my point of view's changed because I've grown up a bit. So, for instance, there were a ton of songs that I wrote when I was in my early 20s that never really got finished properly and kind of went into the compost bin um, that I finished over the last couple of years um, because I finally understood what the point was that I was trying to make and the, the, the span of time in between has allowed me to do that. But I find I'm a lot more... Um, I'm a lot more happy with what's coming out because I'm a lot happier with who I am I think when being being young is great fun from some angles but boy oh boy it's not from other angles it's really nice <laughs> now that I'm a little bit older a little bit more able to take it less seriously and have fun with stuff and you know go for stuff and, and that comes out in your writing I think it shows yeah I think I agree with you I, I think you know even as you know, I, I've dabbled a little bit of writing, and I think you know when you're in your early twenties, you know, even in your mid twenties, I think you know you, you kind of have this perception, and then you know as you mature and you know have a little bit more experience with things, you know, you go back and you you read you know those things or you know listen to those songs, you go, wow, that was you know I had a really interesting take on that. And now you know five maybe ten years later, you go, wow, man, you know my take would be completely different if I had had that scenario now as opposed to ten years ago, and I think that. You know, it helps people, I think, evolve uh, with the writing in general, I think. Well, yeah, absolutely. And also, it gives you the second verse. <laughs> Which is fantastic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Bands have moved on from there. And and also, the the the, the, um, the critical faculty to be able to look at it without the emotion as well. You can look back on that stuff and go, hey, that was really good. I, I don't like that bit. That just shows what an idiot you were at the time, you know. And, and, and you still... <laughs> The, the, the brilliant thing is, is because I, I'd not actually put that song out anywhere because it hadn't been finished. Nobody knew that it had been changed, and, and so they, yeah, it's, it's quite nice. It's, it's nice. It's like 
it's like having made an investment or planted a seed and then you you go back a few years later and, and there it is fruiting. Very well put. Now, uh, the first song we have tonight is titled Make It Easy. Uh, what can you tell me, you know, obviously from uh, the writing process and really the meaning behind this particular track? Well, I, I started off as a song to comfort myself in a situation of, of dire trauma. And uh, it became my best friend's favorite song and then played it out at a few gigs and quite a lot of people said they liked it. And uh, there's a nice story. Um, uh, a guy I was seeing took me to dinner with an old friend of his. She was a 60s child who'd, um, well, somebody who'd been active in the 60s, rather, and um, a proper hippie and very into her music and an amazing lady. And she had a, about 12 people come for a beautiful dinner at her house. And um, after the food, the fellow that I was seeing said, Sam, you've got to play the song now. That's why you're here. So you've got to get your guitar out and play this song. And I did. And um, she cried and she said, I can't believe that you brought me live music tonight and for it to be that song. And we drove home. And the following day, I found out that she had advanced cancer and three different tumours, and she'd been saving her morphine, and she took it when we left. And I had no idea that something that I'd done could be of any help at all to anybody, let alone somebody in that desperate situation. So it's kind of heavy, but kind of nice, if you know what I mean. No, I, I think that's a great story, and uh, that's got to be... Uh... I, I would. Really, I mean, that's got to be a humbling experience. And that's a great story. A I appreciate. You. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story on on the show with us tonight. That is a great story. And uh, tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, we'll uh, cue up the track. Is "Make It Easy" by Sam Bat here on Unsigned.
That is Make It Easy by Sam Bat here on Unsigned. And Sam, again, appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us tonight. Now, uh, you are known for you know your live shows, really the great energy and a great vibe that you put out. What are some of your favorite things about being in front of a crowd and playing your music? Well, the most brilliant thing about playing live is the fact that the audience is there and you're connecting with them. And, and you can feel it when you've managed to make contact with people. You can tell when you've got their attention. And there's a, a wonderful thing when you look out across an audience and you can see them all looking back at you and that whole thing is focused together. It's it's kind of concentrated and magnified by the fact that there's so many of them. And that's the best high that there is. It really is. Especially when you can see that you've moved them or you've made them laugh. It's just it's just a wonderful feeling because you're all feeling it together. And I think that connectedness and that togetherness, because music is about emotion, right? It's a... A communication of emotion, it's the closest thing to bottling a feeling you can get, I suppose. So when you know that you've succeeded in that communication, especially as a songwriter, I mean, I spend quite a lot of time on my own writing it and practicing it and recording it and doing stuff to it and not having any feedback for it. And then you go out and you play it live. And that's the that's the proper test of it. If you can go out live and play something and you know you've got everybody with you and they're loving it, then that's about the happiest you can be. Yeah, that's. I think it's very well put. And you know, there's something I, I think you know that kind of goes unsaid about you know the effort and work that goes in. I think all for, for all musicians, really in general, you know, the effort and that goes in, the passion that goes into writing a song and constructing it, and you know changing it and redoing it and trying to perfect it the way you think it should be and sound, and then you know really kind of burying your soul and going out in front of people and say, okay. Here's a song that you've never heard before, and I wrote it, and you know, there it is, you know. And then, you know, to have people react to it in a positive manner has got to feel amazing. Yeah, it really does. And and same with the internet. I mean, when, when you get feedback about what you've put up there, it's just lovely because, well, you know, a few years ago, it would have been so much more difficult to get that kind of feedback, and now it's entirely possible, and it just feels like there's this communication open between musicians and listeners that didn't used to be as accessible for most people and it's a wonderful thing i think it's changing the way the industry works and that's also a wonderful thing yeah i 100 percent agree with you and uh a little bit later i, I want to talk to you actually about the music industry and we'll get into that a little bit later but back to the back to the live shows um you know you're you're an att- very attractive woman <laughs> Gentlemen, trust me, she's an attractive woman. Now, uh, have you had any uh, interesting or uh, bizarre things happen to you at a live show? Not just because you're a woman, but just anything in general, I guess. Oh, yeah, there's always interesting and bizarre things going on at live shows. Uh, I found that if you if if you if you want to make some money and not be hassled, you're best to play the old people's home because they're not going <laughs> to spill beer on your keyboard and they're not going to try and go, come home with you. But there's there's always a character there at the front that's a bit interesting or different who wants to talk afterwards and yeah there there've been some very funny moments when also when people turn up that you know very well and one minute everything's fine and then the next minute you're thinking oh my god they're here <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a funny moment because that can go either one way or the other it can either make you play better or fall apart 
<laughs> thankfully, these days it tends to make me raise my game. But that's I, I had a uh, somebody said something to me in the green room one day. I was uh, very concerned because I knew that I had various people in the audience that that I wanted to impress and. And, and they said to me, well, you know, nerves are interesting things. If you if you interpret it as nerves, it, you're going to see it as something that's going to put you off, that's going to make you play worse. But actually, really, what it is, is an adrenaline reaction. Just like when you're about to jump out of a, an aeroplane with a parachute or, 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 you know, that that fight or flight moment. And actually... If you think about it, when that happens, if you're if you're in a car accident, everything slows down, kind of, and it means that you're reacting faster. So that means when you have that adrenaline raised, you're in a position to perform cons- considerably better than you normally can, because your frames per second are so much higher resolution. So from that moment onwards, when I started to feel that surge coming up because the audience is there or that special purpose person's there, um, I managed to use it to my advantage rather than to my detriment. And and that's that's the high that I was talking about earlier again. It's that whole here we are doing it together, adrenaline high in our element. And it's also about being in the zone as well. I don't know if you um, know much about um, things like Buddhism and Eckhart Tolle and about being present in the moment. But I think when you're properly playing and you're not thinking about the bit you just played or what everybody thinks about it, and you're just thinking about what you're doing, that you're absolutely, totally present and you're living in the moment and living for what you're doing rather than what everybody thinks of you or any of that stuff. And so at that moment when you're doing it, you're absolutely, totally yourself doing your dharma and feeling alive. I agree. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the idea of that. And, and there's a I, – I usually sum that, that type of moment is just be here now. Yes. You know, and, and if you can do that – you know, then you're ahead of the game. Now, uh, I want to kind of switch gears on you a little bit here, Sam. Now, uh, there's a festival that that you've been working with uh, that you front. It's called the Bat Fest. Uh, tell me more about how, how this idea got started and what are your plans uh, for this year's festival? Well, I had an amazing year in 2011. I I, I had I had a kid, um, and I kind of thought I was I had to put myself out to pasture. And then 2010, I went out and did a tour. 2011, I did shared loads of gigs and had a great time. And uh, along the way, somebody who I know that works for a record company said to me, you want to get the attention of a guy called Tony Moore in London because he knows everybody in the music industry and he's a champion of new music and he gets high on getting unknown people known who he likes and he's impressed by so he's he's got a couple of venues in london he's got the regal room and he's got the bedford and he also organizes a stage at hop farm and he organizes marylebone summer fair which is a, about seventeen thousand footfall in the summer in the middle of london 
so he's he's a good guy to know and i did a gig at his venue but he wasn't there that night and i facebook friended him but i didn't really get very much back he must be swamped by people saying hello look at me (laughs) anyway i was on my way out to a gig one night and i was just checking in with facebook before i got in the car and i couldn't to make sure that i posted something before i left And he happened to have posted at that moment that he wanted to do some house gigs with his new protégé, Ilona. And I, on a whim, just messaged back on Facebook, well, I've got a really beautiful garden. Why don't you come and do a gig here and I'll make it into a little mini festival and I'll play and I'll get some of my friends to play. And they loved the idea. So... Uh, August 2011, we had 14 acts from a marquee in the garden. I think I had two and a half weeks to put it together. Wow. And we we had a, a, a PA and a stage in the marquee, and we streamed 14 acts out over the internet. And the idea was that they would also get to share my audition with Tony Moore, which was my purpose behind it. I mean, I'm a bit ulterior there. I wanted to give him what he wanted, but I also wanted to go, hey, notice me, notice me. And I figured, well, if he was going to notice me, he might as well notice some other people that I knew that were really good. And it was fun. It was brilliant. We had a great time. We streamed it out over one TV channel, just in TV. And, And that was that. And loads of the people that played ended up working together and doing gigs for Tony and gigs with each other at different venues. And it was it was a good thing. And then um, I had a bit of a hard time in the winter. I, I knew I had various big, important, boring, serious things to deal with. So I'd done a lot of gigs that year. I took some time off and then I started to get really down. And I realized what I'd actually done was out of a sense of responsibility was get rid of all the fun stuff and concentrate on the less fun stuff and so I got involved with Lady Lake Music Cindy and Jen in America who I'd been kind of friends with and watching and generally associated with for about a year or so Um, and I said to them okay I really want to join your roster what do I do and and we, we got it together and they started sending me oodles of radio I've never ever known anything like it I was coming home from work and there'd be an email saying you're on the radio and then an hour later there'd be another one saying you're on the radio again and then I'd fall asleep on the sofa and wake up and check into everything before I went to bed on one occasion there was a radio station you're on the radio now we want to interview you are you on Skype it was like (laughs) wake up and, of course, a lot of this was in in America because the Lady Lake ladies are in America. So, you know, two o'clock in the morning, I'm still talking to this guy and having a great time and thinking this is just bizarre. How can life have changed so much? Because, you know, there was me pedaling as hard as I possibly could and all of a sudden I've got a rocket underneath me. So, <laughs> so at the same time, I started to get emails from the artists that played last year at Batfest and various people that came along as guests saying, when are you doing it again? And I was like, I'm not doing it again. That was, you know, <laughs> some gargantuan effort. I'm not doing that this year. I've got to plan my gigs, you know. 
and and I got so many emails in the end I said okay let's let's do it again and so this year we had 22 acts streamed over several internet tv channels and 220 radio stations that I gathered through my campaign via Cindy and various other means and contacts and as I spoke to these people I basically said to them look why don't we make this network of indie media and you know I'll introduce you to all the other radio stations so if you swap shows there's a posh word for it you can cross syndicate Mm -hmm. what it means is is that you swap airtime so you put your show on somebody else's radio station they put you uh, their show on yours both shows go out to more listeners than they previously would do without very much investment the, the radio stations love this idea they also sure. love the idea of everybody shouting at once because the, some of these stations have got like 25 listeners per show some of them are really really big i mean what the biggest one had 168 million clicks last year wow. goes out to 196 countries so we're talking a lot of listeners here. So so what we did after that was we, we put together a track from each of the artists that was playing. We sent them out to all the radio stations. And some of the radio stations just played the tracks. Some of them just mentioned the event. Some of them did both. Some of them also interviewed different people. So we hit the same audience with Batfest, but with different content a few times in the run-up to Batfest. And... Um, and and then on the day, about 100 people um, from the technical team and about 50 extra people who just happened to be their friends or my friends turned up and most of us met that day and we linked up radio streaming with video streaming with the sound people and, yeah, we, we had a hoot. Um, what? <laughs> No, I, I don't mean to cut you off there. Uh, I, when I first when I first heard of this, we first kind of made contact. And I was like, I, you know, you know, we, we want to be a part of this in the new year, and, and we'll talk about that off air at some point. But uh, there's something just really beautiful uh, about an underground movement such as this, where everyone's just kind of like, you know what, let's get together and and puts you know put something together that's positive that allows everybody to kind of share the same common idea has the same common goal for the most part i really i really 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 like it a lot the idea and the fact that you're undertaking it a second year uh kudos to you i, I really well, like well it. thank you we, we did take a picture this year of everybody scratching each other's backs because the idea is that everybody benefits so we've got a website where everybody has a reciprocal link which means that we have a lot of people coming to the website. We also have a lot of people who can potentially meet each other on the website before we even get to the listeners and the the viewers angle. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a really nice thing because it's not just the artists that benefit. It's also the stations and it's also the lighting people and the people who provided the sound equipment and the people who did activities with the kids and anybody who helped in any way gets fully credited. And we've done our absolute best to make sure that everybody's getting something decent out of it as well as giving something. And the nice thing is, is if you swap favours, the taxman doesn't get any of it. 
There you go. <laughs> 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 Not the um, paying tax now. We're very happy. <laughs> well, yeah, I understand. Um, obviously, you know, this year, um, you know, if if there's a, a band out there or someone's listening and they want to be involved with Batfest, is there a, a what, what's the website they can go to and you know submit information and try to get involved? Right. Well, we're about to launch our new website, so I don't want to direct anybody to the old website at the moment. But if you go to www.facebook.com forward slash Batfest, there's a page there. Um, please, would you like it? And if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can message me through that page. So there's that angle. There's also um, my Facebook page, which is Sam Bat. Um, and that's bat with two T's, by the way. And you, you can always Google Batfest and come to me somehow. Wonderful. Well, uh, we'll definitely make sure that, you know, we'll have a, a link uh, to that Facebook uh, on our site as well. Uh, when, when, you know, and that way people can get involved when they hear the interview as well. Uh, now, you're a very busy woman. You know, you have uh, you know, busy life, you know, you, all these different things, music. What do you do in your free time, you know, when you're not, you know, I mean, you want to take maybe a break from music? You know, is there something you do, like, you know, a hobby that you enjoy? Well, I used to. I, I used to make little sculptures. Sometimes I made big sculptures. But these days, it, I teach music for a living. I write music for pleasure. And I promote music for my second thing. So I suppose if I have any free time, I might go and spend some time eating and talking with friends or dancing and love dancing. Um, but I don't really get free time. Uh, there's the odd moment where I might read. I'm very much into reading at the moment. I'm reading a book by Eric Byrne called The Games That People Play. But I also love science fiction and fantasy very nice. Now, uh, what type of uh, dancing are you talking like ballroom dancing, or are you? Uh... Uh, well, not so much, but you know, no, no, you, okay. you can put pretty much anything on. It's got a good beat. I'll have a go. But there you, um, go. All right. you know, if if it's late at night, you know, I I, I quite like my drum and bass. Um, but I I like all sorts of music. There's there's two sorts of music that I don't like, and that's thrash metal with screaming. I really like hard rock, but I don't like the screaming. So somebody like Incubus, I appreciate, but I wouldn't really go for something that uh, hurts my ears. And, <laughs> and, and, and jazz. I love jazz, but the very abstract jazz just seems to be showing off and scales and confused emotions. And that really doesn't do it for me. In fact, I had to turn it off, unfortunately. Um, yeah, jazz is, jazz is an interesting uh, genre because there's certain you know like uh, Thelonious Monk is you know a jazz musician you can just kind of put that on and just you know just let it go and yeah. there's other you know like some of the new artists I, I think they're very talented you know sometimes I think it's just you know like you said they're just trying to hit every scale they possibly can in one track and yeah. you know it kind of lo it kind of loses its uh, you know it doesn't have that loungy jazz kind of feeling right. where you can kind of it hasn't got any melody it's all about yeah. it's all about the cleverness of it and that just turns me right off because for me music is about the melody the passion the, the feeling of it and 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 that is more about the skills and the acrobatics of it and i went to ronnie scott's one night with my dad a few years ago and um we saw this clarinet player and there's signs on the table there saying you mustn't talk and all this kind of stuff 
So we both sat there respectfully through this concert. And I came away really nonplussed because, as I said, I find that it confuses my emotions to the point where I feel like I'm thinking and feeling white noise. I've got, I don't know where it is. It's, there's too much going on to really feel uh, something that you can describe. Um, and I went home very nonplussed. And a few years later, I was talking to my dad and he said, yeah, I went to Ronnie Scott's one night and I saw the clarinet player and I can't remember who it was that I was with, but I wanted to be polite to him. So I didn't say anything about it, but I thought it was awful. (laughs) 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 Hey, that was me. (laughs) We were both too polite to say anything. (laughs) That's classic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, speaking of, of clever tracks, uh, we'll get into a second track here. Um, this is a track that I really enjoyed. One, because I thought it really showed off your vocal range uh, and was really just a really fun song. Um, that is Rip Van Winkle. Um, yeah, obviously. Oh, I'm glad you like that. You know, it, uh, based. I, I'm guessing loosely based on the uh, was that 1819 short story that was written. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the guy who uh, fell asleep in, under the tree and woke up a hundred years later. Yeah. And everything has been happening without him, and yeah, I, I, I felt so much like that. I came out of a very long relationship that had been quite insular. I thought I'd been um, quite feisty, but actually I didn't realise how um, much a part of us and less a part of me I'd become. I think a lot of people have experienced this. And sure. um, uh, I, I went into that relationship when I was 19, came out when I was 27, 28, and felt like I'd missed my youth. Which is, of course, nonsense. But at the time, it was like, well, Christ, let's go and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> well, not go to that jazz club. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and, uh, well, uh, this is uh, Rip Van Winkle from Sam Bat here on Unsigned. This is sunshine, I'm making 
That is Rip Van Winkle here uh, on Unsigned. I'm talking with Sam Batts. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with this evening. And a couple of things I want to get into. You know, we mentioned earlier in the interview uh, about the record industry. And I've talked, I, I think, I, about every artist I've had on uh, in the last year on the show, I think I've asked this question. And I, I would feel bad if I didn't ask you the same. Okay, go is ahead. That, you know, the, uh, the record industry has changed dramatically, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, what is your take on the direction of the record industry right now? Where, where do you see it going in the next, say, five to 10 years? Well, I suppose it makes sense to start by saying the old record industry, you had to impress somebody in A&R in order to get signed in the first place. And then they would kind of turn you into something that they thought was commercial. And sometimes they'd hold you back because they had another act that they wanted to promote and there would be nothing you could do about that. And sometimes they'd go the other way and they'd push you out and burn you out and wear you out. And then the next day you'd be yesterday's news and disposed of. And quite a lot of artists had the option of accepting a contract which was really onerous and not doing them any good or not getting anywhere at all. So there were some people who made it really, really massively big and an awful lot of people who had no look in whatsoever. And because of the internet and social media and stations like yours, that's not the case anymore. There, there's there's the possibility of getting out there, but of course we're all sort of like lost in the mix. And there's there's so many of us now that nobody, well, very few of us are going to make it very big, but quite a lot of us can actually probably make a decent living out of it. I think that's a lot more interesting and um, a lot fairer as well. Um, because if you are rubbish you're not going to get anywhere and actually people's ears are now open to a lot more um i personally i've been listening to a lot of indie radio shows over the last couple of years and what's going on in indie radio is so much more interesting than what's going on in the mainstream and you don't lose the quality as a result of it being indie either because there is so much talent out there. So it's, it's an interesting thing. It's To the old record industry, it's a terrible, sad, awful thing. To people like me, it's a wonderful, brilliant thing <laughs> because the, 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 the playing field has leveled. Yes. I mean, if, you, if you imagine this happening on a, in another industry, I mean, really, it's... it's 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 like the rich being portioned out into the poor. Um, it's it's properly revolutionary, and yes, nobody really knows what's going to happen. So, I think it's very exciting. I I'm 100% uh, on board with you here, uh, and again, we've had other artists talk about it. And uh, there was a gentleman um, that was on how a couple months ago named Audio Blue. And uh, he mentioned really great uh, singer songwriter, and he mentioned you know, and 
the word recoupment used to mean something back in the day in, in record companies where you know they would you know they would sign you to this erroneous deal and then they would be like okay we're going to give you all this upfront you know recording time and money yada 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 yeah. you know and then if well if you didn't recoup the money back or sell so many albums per eighteen dollars an album they wanted to charge or whatever well guess you you were left holding the bag now that's kind of gone by the wayside nowadays with the things you mentioned social media so on and so forth so now you have you know, almost like, you know, a middle class of music where people can kind of go out and do their own thing, promote their own music, you know, have their own websites, you know, the list goes on and on there. And people will recognize if you're good enough. It's not, you know, obviously you have to market yourself and all those things, but, well, you know, it, you have to work hard at it and you're doing more than the old artists were doing. I mean, artists of yesteryear were able to just, you know, get drunk and write songs every day yeah. and burn out and have that rock and roll lifestyle. And I, I think the old record companies kind of wanted them to because, first of all, it made good news. And second of all, it meant they weren't really thinking about the fact that somebody had thought fit to order a limousine and buy a whole load of champagne for all the crew and everybody. And they were actually going to foot the bill at the end of it because it didn't feel like real money to them and there were no options in any way. They were artists. They weren't supposed to deal with the business side of it. I think these days, if you are an artist and you are willing to deal with the business side of it and you can, like, get in there and be sociable, then you don't have that many people that you're trying to pay. You've not got a big team behind you, but then on the other hand, you haven't got to pay them. It's like being a solo artist as opposed to part of a band, I suppose. You know, you haven't got a big team to pay all the time so you can probably afford to do more gigs and that's 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 a, a really interesting aspect as well I, I think one of the things I've been trying to do with Batflash because I, I, I brought in an idea called the Jolly Lorry which actually might become the Batmobile now which is a, <laughs> a little indie TV show that's like the anti-X factor so instead of like setting everybody up against each other in competition, we're just doing a little show about the uh, the a load of indie acts going around doing a load of gigs, sharing the costs of touring, because a, a record company would have paid for the recording, and that's attainable independently nowadays to very high standard. I mean, the the track you just played was just me with a few instruments and a sequencer. And so that means that I don't need the record company to pay for the recording. The touring costs a lot of money because you've you've got to have your accommodation and you've got to have your transport and you've got to have your um, uh, organisation sorted properly. If you can deal with the organisation and you club together with a few other artists, why can't you go on tour? I think sure. it's no, absolutely I'd... feasible to do so. And I, I think it would make great telly, actually. I, I think you're right. I, I think you might be onto something there again. Uh, now, switching gears here, kind of winding down tonight, um, you know, the holidays, you know, New Year's Eve. What is your, what is your uh, drink of choice uh, on a New Year's Eve? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's become my drink of choice most of the time, which is a nice glass of good quality carver which is basically sparkling wine. I like it very dry and um, 
the smaller the bubbles, the better. But I'd, I'd much rather spend money on that than on cheap champagne. Um, but it makes me feel like I'm living my champagne lifestyle, when in actual fact, it's quite reasonable. <laughs> Very nice. Now, uh, heading into the new year, we have, you know, Batfest coming up. Uh, now, if uh, the listeners are interested in getting a hold of you and finding out more about what you are doing personally with music, uh, what's the site that they can uh, find more information about what, you, what you're doing musically? Oh, www.sambat.com. And that's bat with two T's. Wonderful. Now, uh, the last song tonight, Sam, we have is, in my opinion, you know, listening to a lot of your songs, you know, the one that I really like that really kind of stuck out to me, and this is why I wanted to close with this song, is called Still Wish, uh, one of my favorite songs. And I can't help, I listened to the song several times just today alone, and I can't help thinking, uh, who, I, I just have to ask who this song is about. Well, there's a guy that I <laughs> met in, oh, goodness me, 1998. And uh, he and I have had a thing a few times. And he's a bass player and a tour manager. And we have a really great time when we're together. But he's one of these people that just can't commit. And I've been through various phases with him where I've gone, right, I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing you anymore. I don't even want to know. Go off and do what you're doing. Fair enough. And I, I can't help it. I, when I heard this, I was like, man, I was like, I, if he's not, he's not with you right now, and he had, and he's heard this song, he's 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 lost it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's he's out of, he's out of touch on that one. But that's just my that's just my personal take on it. But uh, uh, well, Sam, uh, Ryan, he he can't help coming back every now and again. You know, if I tell him he's he's not allowed to, he's he's knocking on my door. If I tell him I want him to, he's not call, calling. He's not answering my calls. That's just life, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> suppose so. Now, uh, Sam Bat, it has been a pleasure speaking with you this evening, and uh, definitely, you know, definitely like to be in touch. We want to be a part of Batfest here at Olmos TV, Fantastic. and uh, we would love to have any any time you you want to come on and, and uh, have a have a talk. And uh, have a glass of wine with us. We'd appreciate it. Oh, well, likewise. It's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. And I hope that we do this again many times. Wonderful. Well, I tell you what, uh, we leave tonight. Sam Bat, thank you very much. We leave tonight with Still Wish here on Unsigned.
That is Sam Batts with Still Wish here on Unsigned. And uh, again, thanks to uh, Sam Batts for stopping in and uh, shedding some information on Batfest uh, for this summer. And again, we will be a part of uh, Batfest. So stay tuned for more information about that as uh, we head into the new year. But tell you what, right now, let's jump right into our NFL. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Congratulations. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. That's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? Yeah, it's that time of year. The regular season has ended in the NFL, and I had a good run. The last couple of weeks, uh, I went you know, pretty much 500 the last couple of weeks of the season. Still guessed about 65% of the games correct in the year. And now here we are. The end of the regular season ended, and Black Monday, as they call it in the NFL, heads do roll. This is, the, this is the list of teams, either the coach or the GM is out of there. Browns, Bills, Bears, Chiefs, Cardinals, Chargers, all needing a new coach. Teams that need a GM, Jets, Panthers, the Jaguars are still in flux. It's going to be a very, very crazy offseason for a lot of teams. And uh, I'll tell you what, this weekend starts the NFL Wild card weekend. We got a host of great games. We'll start with the AFC. This is actually a rematch from the previous year. There's Bengals heading to Houston and take on the Texans. Now, the Houston Texans. A team that was red hot to start of the season has really struggled down the stretch. They're going to have their hands full with a very young uh, Cincinnati Bengals team. And don't be surprised if the Bengals defense is the best defense you see on the field in Houston. The Bengals defense has been outstanding. Yes, I did not start the Cincinnati Bengals defense has been outstanding the last quarter of the season. Actually, the last half of the season since that loss in in Cleveland. Uh, around week 10 or 11, they have been outstanding. Now, the formula is pretty simple for Cincinnati as far as taking on Houston is concerned. One is stop the run, rush the passer, which Cincinnati can do, no doubt about it, and force Matt Schaub to beat you. Did anybody think Matt Schaub can win a football game when he when it's on his shoulders? He's yet to prove that he can. We'll see if he can do it. This weekend. Now, the Texans secondary on the other side of the football there, the Texans secondary is uh, they've been bad. They've been really, really bad all, uh, the whole back end of the season. You have A.J. Green, who is a stud at wide receiver, and the rookie Marvin Jones out of California, who's really starting to come on as a second option for Andy Dalton. Again, second year quarterback from TCU. Uh, this could be an upset in the making. And if Houston gets beat after the season they had, they lose at home to the Cincinnati Bengals on a wild card when they technically could have had the number one overall seed but have crumbled in the back end of the season. Gary Kubiak is also going to be on that list in the unemployment line of coaches. You can add the Texans right onto that, I think. Now, the other game in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens at home. Probably one of the toughest places to go play. The Baltimore Ravens are uh, they are just a different animal, a uh, different bird, if you will, at home. Taking on rookie quarterback Andrew Luck, who set an NFL record this year for passing yards by a rookie quarterback. I, I tell you what, this Baltimore defense is not very good. The Colts defense is okay. This has the makings of a shootout, if you ask me. Uh, 
I think Indy, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Indy won this game. I really wouldn't. They've been in every game this year. They've been scrappy. You have the Chuck Pagano uh, coming back to the sidelines, beating and fighting leukemia, coming back to the sidelines. The emotional bond, the emotional factor that Indianapolis is something that you, you just can't root against. It, it's a great thing uh, that Pagano has fought and struggled to tighten that group. They brought that locker room together. Andrew Luck has been outstanding as a rookie quarterback. Don't be surprised if Indy goes to Baltimore and wins. I don't know if they will. I won't be shocked if they do, but I'm still going to pick Baltimore in this one. Uh, Joe Flacco, Ray Rice, Torrey Smith and company, that offense of Baltimore. Uh, again, a proud defense, even though they're not what they used to be. They're still, you know, you still have Ed Reed. You still have Terrell Suggs. You still have, you know, Kruger and those guys on, on that side of the football on the defensive side. Um, that window in Baltimore is very, very small. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, if they're going to do it, this is the year they're going to do it. Ravens win a close one at home. Now you look at the NFC, the Green Bay Packers hosting the surprise Minnesota Vikings and the one-man wrecking crew that is Adrian Peterson all day. This guy came nine yards shy of breaking Eric Dickerson's record, all-time rushing record, a record that will stand now for 29 years. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever going to break that record. I thought he would do it this year. He came within nine yards of it. Uh, Adrian Peterson has been outstanding should be the MVP, in my opinion. If, if, if anybody who's not a quarterback is going to win the MVP, Adrian Peterson should win it this year. Uh, if not, more than likely it'll be Peyton Manning winning his fifth MVP. But uh, you would think that the Vikings, Adrian Peterson, who just seems to have the Packers number, uh, would go to Lambeau and win. But I think you know, the Vikings are just too one-dimensional. Uh, with that being said, I think the Packers playing at Lambeau Field are, are going to get the win. It's not going to be pretty, but you don't get points for winning pretty. Uh, Packers uh, find a way to win at home against the Vikings. They're going to give them all they can handle, I'm sure. Now, the other NFC matchup is rookie versus rookie. It's RG3 and the Redskins, who have been red hot, red, red hot all year uh, in the back end of the season, taking on really a surprise team. I wasn't really high on this team. That is the Seattle Seahawks. I ripped them in our in our uh, pre-NFL uh, season. They have sold me behind rookie quarterback Russell Wilson from Wisconsin. This could be the game of the weekend. It really could be. I, again, I am sold on the Seattle Seahawks defense. That front four, that secondary, that linebacking core is outstanding, and I think they can go anywhere in the NFL and win, and trust me, nobody wants to go to Seattle and play that team, and Marshawn Lynch is a skittle-eating, bulldozing beast of a running back. He doesn't get the credit he deserves in the national media. He's been outstanding all year long, second in the league in rushing. Marshawn Lynch, the Seahawks are going to soar in the nation's capital and upset the Redskins this weekend i'm calling it this has been our nfl uh preview a uh, little coaching and we'll cover the uh, nfl playoffs uh, as it carries on all the way up the super bowl making my super bowl pick as well when the time comes but let's take a look at the top movies this week as we close out starting with number 10 working our way up the uh holiday edition uh holiday season obviously bring big numbers to the movie theater and uh this uh list Definitely proves that. Rise of the Guardians at 4.9 million. Monsters Inc. 3D, 6.3 million. Uh, the Guilt Trip at 6.7 million. The movie Lincoln at 7.5 million. This is 40, 13.1 million. Jack Reacher. I've been calling it Jack Reacher Rounder, 14, 14 million. Uh, Parental Guidance at 14.8 million. And Les Miserables. Les Miserables, or as they say in the South, Less Miserable at 28 million. 
Uh, the Django Unchained at thirty point six million, which is getting great reviews, and The Hobbit: The Unexpected Journey at thirty two point nine million dollars. Those are your top movies here at the box office uh, through the holiday weekend. And uh, look, it's been a great year. I hope everybody had a great New Year's. Mike, Happy New Year's to you. And, and all the bands we mentioned at the top of the show, Happy New Year. And all the bands that are going to come on. We've got a great uh, lineup uh, coming up in 2013. Feels weird saying 2013. It really does. Next week, we have Matt DeVries from Fear Factory who's going to come on. Uh, so definitely stick around for that. You're going to hear some, uh, some new stuff off the new album as well. He's going to talk about joining Fear Factory, leaving Chimera. And, uh, you know, the tour and uh, the new album, he's going to talk about all that stuff next week. So definitely check that out on the show. And, uh, again, we have some great guests coming up. Black Robot, The Hush, Laura Wolf Band. The list goes on and on. We have got great, great musicians coming up in the year 2013. So definitely stick with us. It is going to be Can't Miss podcast can't miss radio and uh, we're still going to cover all the crazy wacky stories like achy bricky blow up dolls and uh sports and nba and college football we're still going to do all that stuff as well so it's going to be big time action-packed stuff mike wonderful job as always happy new year to everybody out there seems harder to enjoy the finer things in life until next time do so